Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining one of our serve teams, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000, and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Our fast-growing kids ministry is looking for more volunteers to join the team. If you're interested in helping with Hub City Kids on a rotating basis, or if you'd like to hear more about what serving in kids ministry looks like, please join us for the Hub City Kids interest meeting today, right after the service. We are so thankful for how the Lord is growing our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep end seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right, well, hey, good morning once again. My name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church, and we do welcome you. We're glad you're here uh, to worship Jesus with us this morning. And uh, before we dive into the Bible, just have a, a few announcements on the, on the docket, as it were, here. The first thing is that uh, community groups started back last Sunday, and uh, from what I heard, uh, it went well. Did it go well? Okay. So yeah, that's what I heard too. So um, if, if you're just now joining us, community groups are how we do fellowship and care as a church. It's how we build deep friendships in the body of Christ where we are staying up to date on one another, praying for each other, uh, breaking bread together, doing life together as the expression goes, and talking about the application of God's word to our lives on an ongoing basis. Now let me, um, let me just encourage you. First of all, if you haven't joined a community group, we'd love to have you, um, so you can do that today. You can talk to someone at the Connection Desk if you like, or just come talk to me. But let me encourage you really quick uh, before we move on. If you went to community group last week, go again this week. <laughs> go again this week, because um, here's a not-so-secret secret. Genuine community is built with repetition, okay? And um, we talked about this several weeks back when we discussed markers of uh, Christian maturity. One of our measures as a church is commitment, not just to uh, a set of ideas or doctrines or a, a Sunday morning feel, but to a group of people, to a, a family. That's a huge part of community, the, uh, the, the being together part. And uh, Hebrews 10 says we should do that more and more, uh, get this, not because it's convenient. That's actually not how that text reads, <clears throat> if you'd like to read it, Hebrews 10, uh, 25. But um, uh, I'm just going to be real. It's not always convenient. Community group is not always uh, convenient. It turns out getting a bunch of families, many of whom have young kids, together in a house 
once a week is a pretty messy ordeal, <laughs> actually. But um, if you care, look right at me. We don't do it because it's easy, right? We, we don't do it because it's easy. We, we do it because the Bible says to, okay? And Jesus is coming back, and we'd like to be doing what he's instructed us to do when he comes back. At least I would. I, I assume perhaps you would. So uh, join us again tonight uh, for community group. It, um, it only works the way it's supposed to if you're committed to being there. Um, the, the second thing that I have for you, I know my, my, my wife uh, already told you in the welcome, um, but we do have a kids ministry interest meeting uh, directly after service. And so um, as you probably notice, if you have kids and you drop them off on the other side of the building, we, we have a lot of kids here as a church. We have uh, about one third of our, our church body is, is kids, right? And so um, it's, it's really important to us that um, we, we try to aim to have a high ownership and a low burden when it comes to kids' ministry. Uh, what we mean by that is that um, if everybody will kind of do their part, then no one has to feel like they're doing extra um, in that department because I understand it can be taxing at times. And so uh, if you would like to join us uh, for kids' ministry uh, volunteering, and, and by that I mean um, if you love Jesus and you call this your church, and uh, I think that's what Steve said last week when we celebrate. He was one of the volunteers we celebrated. You know, if you love Jesus and, and you, you know, and you can, you can serve at all, you know, then you should. Also, there's one more thing. Um, if you can pass a background check, I would just say that to you as well. Um, then we would love to have you um, serve in our kids' ministry and, and help lead our kids to Jesus. So please, uh, if you'd like, after service, it'll only be about 30 minutes, you can hear more about the vision, the actual vision, that Dallas is probably going to be upset that I said it this way. But anyway, uh, please come to that meeting. Please serve in our kids' ministry. We'd love to have you. All right, we are nearing the end of Ephesians. I can't believe it. We're making our way now through chapter 6, and today we're wrapping up part 3 this, of this three-part section of practically navigating some of the most important relationships in our lives. The first week, we talked about the relationship between husband and wife. Last week, we discussed the relationship between parents and children, and now this week, we'll talk about our relationship to those uh, who we work for and who work for us. And if you've been here uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, you know that there's kind of one thread that is, is woven through all these relationships uh, in this section of Scripture, and it's this concept of submission. Okay, uh, If that sounds a little strange or unpleasant to you, then uh, stay tuned because I hope to change your mind. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read our text and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it. We're going to jump back to um, Ephesians 5 really quick because that's where we get kind of this foundational um, verse here. And so starting in verse 20, it says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he goes on to talk about marriage and parenting and then picking it up in verse 5 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord 
whether he's a bondservant or free, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day and this great means of grace that it is to us to gather on Sunday mornings as the body of Christ. Lord, help us to cherish raising our voices together with the saints as we sing praises to Christ. Help us to cherish and, and benefit from the proclamation of your word. Lord, help us to cherish just being together because these are our brothers and sisters who we will spend eternity in worship with. And God, now as we open your word and and finish up the section of Ephesians 6 regarding glad submission, God, would you help us? Uh, This this does not uh, come naturally to us as sinners. God, work specifically is often a challenging subject for many. It's something uh, that I think we would love to enjoy all the time if we could, but the reality is Because of the curse of sin, we easily slip into just seeing work as something we have to do in order to live as opposed to something we get to do in order to represent you and who you are to others. So my prayer is that by your grace and through the instruction of your word that you would help us to be different. Even in the challenging aspects of our work, help us to remember that we are to glorify you and that by the help of your spirit, that's possible. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> one, uh, one more announcement. I'm a little under the weather today, so please excuse me if I break into a coughing fit. Uh, I'll, I'll have some water close by. So, All right. Well, a few weeks back, uh, we read the general rule for the Christian life from Ephesians that uh, as disciples of Jesus, we are to make the best use of or redeem as much of the time as we can because our time, considered as a resource, is both limited and it's very valuable, right? Uh, And now as we discuss this idea of submission in our work relationships, this idea of intentionality is going to come back around as well because the average American spends a great deal of their life working. A recent study revealed that most of us will spend somewhere in the ballpark of 90,000 hours or as much as one-third of our lives at work. So our text today, I believe, is a helpful one for considering how we are to think about our work in a redemptive way and to make the best use of it. To do otherwise by thinking of work as an unspiritual task would be effectively to, to waste a huge percentage of our time this side of eternity, which uh, we don't want to do, Right? So the first thing I think is necessary to say in order to frame this conversation is that work in and of itself is not meant to be a punishment, okay? Work's not meant to be a punishment. Before the fall of mankind into sin, the Lord gives man work to do. And so work at the most basic level is a good thing. Listen to this from Genesis 1. Verses 26 to 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And skipping ahead to Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord, again, this is pre-fall, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So based on these texts, I think we can draw the very simple assessment that uh, part of our being made in the image of God as human beings is that we are to have work to be doing. Okay, Literally, the, the, the first thing God does after he says that he's going to make man in his image is he gives man the responsibility to have dominion over the animals. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, it says that God puts man into the garden to work it, that is, to cultivate and, and care for it. So as the crown of God's creation... His image bearers, we work because we have a working God. Okay? <clears throat> we work because we have a working God. Genesis tells us that in the creation of the world, God was working. And then on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work, which is why we too are commanded to have in our work a regular rhythm of rest, referred to later as Sabbath. Okay? And so all this to say on the front end, work is not a consequence of the fall. It's an aspect of our identity, and thus in our process as believers of recovering God's good design for our lives and and redeeming our time, work is meant to be a part of that. Though, yes, God did make work less gratifying and more challenging as a result of sin, work is not a necessary evil. It's actually a God-given gift which we're meant to enjoy and that the gospel is able to redeem for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Okay. But before we move ahead, let's take a brief aside to discuss this peculiar language you may have noticed in our passage regarding bondservants and masters. The word bondservant could be and is in other places rendered slave. However, the form of slavery being referred to in our text is, is not what immediately comes to mind for most of us, which is the you know, chattel slavery that stains our nation's history, where people of one ethnicity were buying and selling people of another ethnicity. The, the kind of slavery that was happening in Ephesus was more like indentured uh, servitude, which uh, were citizens of a particular class of society would earn their livelihood um, and, and working in the household of someone of a higher class. And oftentimes, bond servants would be highly skilled in particular trades, and because there was not an assumed racism undergirding uh, the bondservant system, bondservants would often be treated as important members of the family, which is why Paul included this teaching on the back end of his discussion of marriage and parenting. That said, uh, even still, we should know that the Bible does not actually anywhere condone or endorse slavery as right. And in time, it was actually the principles of the Bible that would undo the institution of slavery altogether in our Western culture. Okay, But with all that understood, let's get to the main point this morning, because uh, even though none of us in this room are bond servants or masters, many of us have jobs where we work day in and, and day out as employees or employers. right? And so this passage remains applicable. And the main idea, I think, is that the object of all of our work as Christians is more than simple provision. It's a striving for excellence 
and the service of others to show Christ worthy of submission. Okay? That's the main idea. Famous evangelist and Christian orphanage director of the 19th century, George Mueller, said it this way. He said, Why do I carry on this business? Or why am I engaged in this trade or profession? In most instances, the answer would be, I'm engaged in my earthly calling so that I may support myself and my family. But here, he says, here's the chief error that causes almost all the other errors by, by children of God concerning their calling. To be engaged in a business merely to obtain the necessities of life for ourselves and family is not scriptural. He says, we should work because it's the Lord's will concerning us. Now, I couldn't have said that better myself, which is why I didn't. Um, but anyway, church, there, there is much in the Bible that links work with provision, okay? Because after all, work tends to be the means by which we earn an income and thereby pay for our necessities of food, clothing, shelter, transportation, and so forth, right? Uh, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul rebukes those uh, who have apparently quit their jobs in order to sit around twiddling their thumbs as they await the return of Christ, okay? Um, they were like the real-life version of that meme I've seen floating around social media that says, I currently have enough money in my bank account to live comfortably for the rest of my life so long as I die by next Thursday, right? Um, that, that's evidently how some of the Thessalonians were thinking uh, about the return of Christ. They thought that it would be very soon, okay? And so Paul says, to address that, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. And, and we would do well to heed this instruction. If, if you're an adult, particularly an adult man, especially an adult man who is married with a family or wants to be, brother, you should be working. Looking back to Genesis 1, God gives Adam a job before he gives Adam a wife, right? And there's, there, I think there's something to that, right? There's, there's an order for a reason. A foundational aspect of growing up and preparing for a family is working a job that will provide for said family. Again, in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so the point is, yes, we do work to earn provision, a paycheck. And that's a good thing. That's how God ordained for things to function. But that's not all that work is about. Okay, The, the provision part is only half of the design. If you're a Christian, uh, whether your work involves running meetings in a boardroom or pushing mops in a bathroom, you're called to do it for the glory of God. Okay? And here's how you do that you do your work to the glory of God by striving for excellence in the service of others to show Christ worthy of submission. Uh, we are not to be people who think of our work as just punching a time clock, right, or a daily grind. It is possible, no matter how simple or monotonous or low on the totem pole that you perceive your job to be, it's possible to do your job with excellence. You know how I know that? Because when I go uh, on a road trip, my, my whole family 
will hold their bathroom breaks for you know, 100 miles if they have to, just to stop at a Bucky's. Um, I used to think, who cares where you stop, right? So long as there's gas and a bathroom, right? Wrong. <laughs> Bucky's has shown that there is a way to do something as simple as gas and a bathroom to the glory of God. <laughs> Not only are there like a thousand gas pumps, there are the cleanest gas station bathrooms you've ever seen, and a plethora of quick service food that puts most fast food restaurants to shame, not to mention the wall of the various flavors of delicious beef jerky, right? <laughs> I, I love Bucky's, if you can't tell, but uh, my, my point is, um, if it's possible to do gas and a bathroom with excellence, it's possible to do anything with excellence, right? And as people who are living, not for the weekend, okay, but for the glory of God, we should strive to reflect that in our nine to five. Whatever we do, we should do it to the best of our ability and with all our might because we're not just representing some earthly organization. We are re we're representing our glorious king and his eternal kingdom. Okay? But not only should we strive for excellence in our work, we should strive to serve others in our work in such a way that makes submission to Christ look as amazing as it really is. Whether we are employees or employers, we should do our work in such a way that causes people to think, wow, that person goes about their work in a way that's delightfully different, right? Like a Chick-fil-A employee, they served me and I really do believe it was their pleasure. <laughs> Where do you think Chick-fil-A got that vision? The Bible, right? Okay, anyway, um, so if, if we're the employee, our boss or our manager, should say of us that we are someone who gladly submits to their leadership. If we are an employer, those who work for us should see us as someone that they are glad to submit to. And all of that should be because ultimately we are submitted to the Lord Jesus above all. Okay? And if you're, if you're wondering, but Tad, what would that look like practically? Then you're asking the right question because that's exactly what Paul lays out for us here. So let's spend uh, the rest of our time walking through it. I've broken it up into two parts. Um, one section for those who are in a position of employee, and one section for those who are in the position of employer. If you're like, I'm an employee and an employer, well, two for one deal. So there you go. But we'll, we'll start with uh, employee. Let's go back and read what Paul says. He says, bond servants... <clears throat> Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So first of all, as employees, our work should be characterized by diligence, not indolence. Okay, diligence, not indolence. In other words, Christians should be Focused people who work hard, not lazy people who will hardly work. Okay? We should be focused people who work hard, not lazy people who will hardly work. The word indolence is a synonym of laziness, but its specific definition is avoidance of activity or exertion. A lot of people like that, aren't there? That's why you're chuckling. There's a lot of people like that. Like it's their goal to see how little they can actually work while they're at work. They take 
you know, 50 trips to the water cooler, not because they're trying to stay hydrated, uh, but because it pains them to do like more than 10 minutes of focused labor. Um, they, they obviously will do their best to appear busy when their boss walks by, but the only time they're working consistently is when they're being watched consistently. They just give eye service. That's what that is. Um, that is, they care more that they look like they're actually working than actually working, right? These are the kind of people who, you know, they start watching their clock at 4.30, and they dip out for the day at 4.57 because they, they just can't wait for work to be done, right? Proverbs talks a lot about the dichotomy of diligence and and indolence in our work. Proverbs 13 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Christians know that they are to work for their earthly boss as they would Christ. And no one in their right mind works for Christ like a sluggard, right? Because the Lord honors those who who work hard by making sure they have what they need. This keeps them diligent and guards them from being slack in their work. A famous Bible teacher of the early 1900s, H.A. Ironside, was said to have worked uh, for a shoemaker as a boy. His job was to prepare the leather for the soles. He would cut a piece of cowhide to size. He would soak it in water, and then he would pound it with a flat headed hammer until it was hard and dry. This was an exhausting process, as you can imagine, and he wished uh, that that could be avoided. Apparently, one day, it's, it's said that he went to another shoe shop uh, nearby to watch his employer's competition, and this man did not actually pound the leather after it came out of the water. Instead, he immediately nailed it onto the shoe that he was making, and one day, Harry approached the shoemaker and said, I, I noticed that you... You put the soles on while they're still wet. Are they just as good as if they were pounded? With a wink and a cynical smile, the man replied, No, but they come back much quicker that way, my boy. So Harry hurried back to his boss and suggested that perhaps they were wasting their time by drying the leather so carefully. Upon hearing this, his employer took the Bible, took his Bible, and read to Harry Colossians 3.23 and said, Harry, I do not just make shoes for the money. I'm doing it for the glory of God. If at the judgment seat of Christ I should have to view every shoe that I ever made, I don't want to hear the Lord say, Dan, that was a poor job. You didn't do your best. He said, I want to see his smile and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, we should think the same way about our own work, whether we make sandwiches or give haircuts or write reports or mow lawns or repair vehicles or preach sermons. We are to be people who are diligent to do our very best in our work to the glory of God, not people who are indolent and who do as little as possible for the ease and the convenience of ourselves. Because again, our work is not really just about ourselves. It's about reflecting the character of God. And this leads right into our next point. As employees, our work should be motivated by devotion to the Lord, not the approval of others. Should be motivated by devotion to the Lord, not the approval of others. Now, you might think, um, <clears throat> didn't we already pretty much cover this? <laughs> if we're devoted to the Lord and our work, then we won't be lazy, right? Yes, we did cover that. But there's another side of the spectrum, which is overwork, okay? It's possible to work hard 
but to work hard for the wrong person. And as a result, to put too much emphasis on your work. Some of us have perhaps found ourselves in this situation where we have <clears throat> a boss who, if we, if we didn't ever clock out, would never remind us to. Because in his or her mind, you know, we could always stand to come in a little earlier or stay a little bit later. And this is unbiblical. This is unbiblical. I was talking to a brother just the other day who told me that when he interviewed for his current position, he went ahead and just told his employer outright that he had strict priorities. God, family, and then work. And this was not to imply that work was not a high priority. It was just to make it clear that his job was not his top priority. Okay, brothers, sisters, as an outworking of your devotion to Christ, work hard. Work hard. But when the day is done, go home and work just as hard as your marriage and with your kids and for your church family. This is why your work needs to be motivated by devotion to Jesus and not just the approval of others. Because there are some others who do not care if you get a day off. They don't care if you practice Sabbath. They don't care if you get regular time with your family. But Jesus does. Jesus does. Friend, if you're someone who struggles with overwork or you know, workaholism, as it's been called, you should ask yourself if you think that that is flowing from your devotion to Jesus. Is it your devotion to Jesus that's motivating that overwork? Let me tell you something that someone told me, um, even as a pastor, an older pastor once said this. Um, you know, the reality of work is if, if you died tomorrow... Your coworkers will be shocked and sad for a little while. But your job listing will be on Indeed the next day. And your position will be filled within a week or so. They'll find another mechanic or another police officer or another whatever it is that you do. But you know what position won't ever be able to be refilled? Husband, wife, father, mother, Brother, sister, sure, someone may come along and do their best to fill the gap, but there's only one you who can fulfill those roles that you have been uniquely given. Don't make appeasing a worldly boss your highest priority because your livelihood and your faithfulness is certainly not their highest priority, okay? And while I'm at it, I may as well just go ahead and say that your time is not the only thing that you should not compromise for your employer. If you have an employer who expects you to compromise your morals for the sake of the company, or even just for the sake of their culture, this is another area where your devotion to the Lord should override your need for their approval. Okay? By all means, do your very best. It's good to submit to those who you work for, but not if that means you have to sin to do it. Okay? Don't lie. Don't fudge the numbers. Don't mistreat anyone. And if you have an employer who expects these kinds of things from you, then that may be a sign that it's time to find a new job on the grounds of your higher authority. Okay? Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man 
lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And you may think, well, I hear you, Pastor. I don't want to have to work in this kind of environment, but it's all I've got. I can't tell you what to do here. But I will tell you that you should stand your ground when it comes to your devotion to the Lord, even if it comes into conflict with your earthly supervisors. Okay? And if they can't respect that and they fire you for your commitment to Christ, well, then you can count on the one who has authority over the entire job market to help you find a new position. Okay? It wouldn't be the first time this kind of persecution has happened. So count yourself blessed to be counted among that special group if that does uh, happen, if that's where you find yourself. Okay? So um, anyway, as, empl- as employees, our work should be characterized by diligence, not indolence, Motivated by devotion to the Lord, not the approval of others. And number three, with hope in our eternal standing, not temporal recognition. With hope in our eternal standing, not temporal recognition. Now, don't get me wrong, because as I've said, you should expect to get paid according to your work. The scriptures say a laborer deserves his wages. But again, church... Uh, While we are working for a temporal wage, we know there's another kind of wage coming to us in glory, isn't there? Verse 7 says, render service with a good will as to the Lord and not for man. Get this, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. To the same effect, Colossians 3 says this, says, whatever you do, Work heartily as to the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we've already touched on this a bit, but to take it further, I'll just say it plainly. Some people mistakenly find their whole identity in their work. They just wrap themselves up in the fact that they are, for example, a stay-at-home mom or a soldier or a pastor even. And while they have a good, honorable career or vocation, it becomes more than that in their heart to the point that they begin finding their entire worth, not in Christ as a son or daughter of God, but in what they do for work. And what happens is they wind up taking a a good thing and turning it into a God thing. Take a good thing and they turn it into an idol. Okay, because here's why. Because they just love the temporal recognition that they get for what they're doing. Okay, guys, We have to be careful not to slip into this. Work is a good gift. It's a good gift. And work is meant to be part of who we are as image bearers. But the human heart loves praise, doesn't it? The human heart loves praise. People love to be applauded for what they're doing. That's why social media is a trillion-dollar empire, okay? 
The, the like button is perhaps one of the most ingenious and devious inventions of our time because the engineers of technology have determined how to exploit humanity's love for approval and recognition. But church, we are to be different. We are to be different. We are not like the world. We do excellent work in our jobs, in our careers, not because we're getting more money, not because we're getting the approval of our boss, not because we want an employee of the month plaque, not because we want to see those hearts on Instagram, but because we are going to receive an eternal inheritance. We don't need human approval or recognition. We, we have the approval and recognition of God, of the eternal God. We're going to reign with Christ in his kingdom. We're going to have every trace of sin and sorrow wiped away. And we are going to enjoy pleasures at the Father's right hand forevermore. Yeah. Sure, it's, it's nice to be encouraged by people from time to time. It's a good thing. Don't hear me saying it's not. It's a good thing for any wise organization really is going to honor those who make them what they are. That's a good thing. But dear Christian, we don't live to get a stinking plastic trophy and some finger foods at an awards banquet. We're going to be the rightful heirs of all things and sit in the presence of the almighty God as his beloved blood-bought children. That is our standing. That's our standing. And that is the hope of the gospel that drives our work. All right. But transitioning now from those who are employees those who are employers. Our text tells us that just because we're not in submission to a human supervisor, that does not mean that we are submitted to no one, right? Um, you know, people who are self-employed say, well, I'm, you know, I'm my own boss. Nope, you're not. <laughs> Paul says that really the same mentality that employees are to have, employers are to have, because both employee and employer have a master, Right? That is the Lord Jesus. And our, our earthly status, it really makes no difference to him. Right? We're called to be godly and faithful in our work regardless. But because I gave three things uh, for those who are in submission to an earthly boss, here are three things for those of us who are submitted to as an earthly boss. First of all, as employers, our work should be as intentional as we expect our employees to be. Our work should be as intentional as we expect our employees to be. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man... 
came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was saying that even though he was in charge, right, as the Son of God, he was really, really, you could say, Jesus was more in charge than any human leader could ever possibly be. He still came to work. (laughs) He still came to work and to serve those who were under his charge, even to the point of sacrificing his own life. And so we should take from this that if we are someone who is in charge of others and we're going to emulate Christ, we are to be working just as hard, if not harder, than those who report to us. Okay? We should strive to be servant leaders who don't just bark orders and, and crack a whip, but who aim to care for and be an example of humility to those who are under our authority. This, this doesn't mean that we should have low standards, okay? I, I think we should have high standards, right, to, to the glory of God. But we should be living them out ourselves as we call others to graciously join us in them. So that's that's number one. Our work should be as intentional as we expect our employees to be. Nobody wants to work hard for a boss who doesn't work hard themselves, right? And in Jesus, we had the best example of a boss who literally gave everything over and above what anyone would have even expected him to. But secondly, as employers, our oversight should be evidently under divine authority. In 1 Peter 5, speaking of how pastors and elders are to oversee the church, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I know that not every Christian employer is also an elder, okay? And I'm certainly not conflating the two to say that they're transferable because they're, they're not, okay? What I hope you see, though, is that there are some aspects of the quality of a good shepherd that also applies to a good believing boss in a secular sphere. First of all, if you're a Christian boss... Uh, While you're not necessarily a spiritual authority in the lives of your employees, um, you ought to remember, first and foremost, that they too are fellow image bearers who, above all else, need to receive the same grace that you have received by the same gospel that you yourself believe. And so, if possible, to the degree that it is appropriate and desired, you should aim to steer conversation to that place. Obviously, um, you won't want to be detracting from work time. You don't want to be doing time theft or anything, okay, to do a Bible study or something like that. But to the degree that you are able, you should not only serve your employees with your actions, but with your words. Words of encouragement, words of truth, and words necessary to share the explicit gospel, which is how your employees can be saved. All right, That's the first thing. Second of all, uh, you should not be using your oversight, if you're an employer, for shameful gain. Okay, That is, um, while you will obviously desire for those under your charge to do their duties with excellence, again, you should desire that for their good and the glory of God. Okay, not, not your image. 
It's not really about your image. If, if you're a Christian boss, your employees do not exist in your life to make you look good. You exist in their lives to make Jesus look good. You following me on that? <laughs> okay, that's number two. And third, you should remember that you'll be held accountable for how you used your position, okay? So just because your position of authority is not a spiritual one per se, don't forget, everything about you and your life is spiritual. Jesus sees it, and Jesus cares about it. There once was a retired man who became interested in a construction project nearby his home. Observing the activity regularly, he was especially impressed by this um, conscientious operator of a large piece of equipment. And so he would go every day and watch the operator do his work so meticulously. Until finally, after some time had passed, the retired man had a chance to tell this heavy equipment operator how much he had enjoyed watching his scrupulous work. Looking astonished, the operator re replied, Wait, you're not the project supervisor? <laughs> Guys, what? While we cannot now physically see him, let us not forget that our supervisor is always present. Our supervisor is always present because we should strive for the oversight that we give to others to reflect that. But finally, our passage in Ephesians 6 says that as employers, we are to, quote, stop our threatening, which I think we should take to mean that our primary motivation method should be care, not fear. Okay, Care, not fear. In John 13, just prior to going to the cross, Jesus famously knelt down and washed all of his disciples' feet, a notably undignified task. And it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This, again, was an expression of his leading them by serving them and caring for them by putting their own needs before his own, which he would do again shortly in the most unimaginable way by dying for them on the cross. And so just as God himself in human form motivated his followers with kindness and compassion, we too, who are in positions of earthly leadership in the sphere of our work, should aim to do likewise. Okay, We should not be harsh, dictatorial leaders who belittle and strike fear into the hearts of those who report to us, but instead, like Christ, we should seek to earn their trust and respect which will inevitably lead to their commitment and willingness to submit to us. All right, let's close there. In John chapter 6, there is a crowd of people who have started following Jesus for the wrong reason. After a long day of, of teaching, Jesus would feed them. And ironically, while he was giving them the words of eternal life, they became more infatuated with his ability to multiply temporal meals of bread 
and fish. Maybe you've read this. And so he says to them in John 6, 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Church, whether we are employees or employers, let us not be working for the wrong reasons. Obviously, work is meant uh, to be the end, the, or the means to the end of our provision. Okay, we establish that, but it's, it's much deeper than that, right? Our work is part of our identity as God's image bearers. And so in our working, we should be striving for excellence and the service of others that will show Christ worthy of submission. If we will do as Ephesians 6 commands and render our work unto the Lord and not for men, it will inevitably provide us with opportunities, not just to earn a paycheck, but to share about the one who we are ultimately submitted to. (laughs) And that's really what our work this side of eternity is all about. Let's pray. Father, God, we we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you particularly for sections of of text like uh, Ephesians 6, that are just so practical, God. We thank you that you have um, not left us to just have the gospel and, and try to figure out the implications for ourselves. But when it comes to things like uh, the relationships with husband and wife and uh, parents and children and even our work relationships, God, you have given us clear direction. And really the goal for all of these is to show that you are worthy of all of our worship and ultimately our our submission in our day-to-day. Father, I I pray that um, as a church, we would not view submission negatively, but that we would view it as right and good. It's part of the way you have ordered our existence to, to function so that it might flourish. God, help us particularly in our work. Um, to be people who understand this and who are submitted ultimately to you, knowing that we're working not just for a temporal wage, but for an eternal inheritance, God, that you've already assured us of. There is no question. We thank you for that. We thank you for that gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.